Hey, profs. Welcome on in. My name's Rob Lightfoot, proud two-time alum of Rick Edelman College Communication, class of 2000-2001. This is Beyond the Brown and Gold. I'm Jessica Kennedy. I'm the co-host here, also a two-time proud Rowan alum, class of 2008 from the Rick Edelman College of Communication and Creative Arts, and 2015 from the College of Education. Thanks so much for joining us today. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents Beyond the Brown and Gold, a show that highlights the lives and memories of Glassboro State and Rowan University alumni. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Lightfoot and Jessica Kennedy. On today's show, we have a 2012 alum with a BA in Communication Studies, Alex McGrady. Alex is an accomplished HR consultant, and she's also an author with two books out on the shelves right now and one coming this summer as well. Uh, The first book, Bridging the Gap, Reducing Gender Bias in the Workforce, and her second book, So Now What? Harnessing Grief After Life's Major Losses. And just her children's book that's coming out to address this grief issue as uh, with the loss of her husband that she shares. Yes. It's a very... um, it's a very kind of deep interview. We do kind of go a, a little bit all over the map, authoring, HR, grief we're and loss, of, we're, personal we're deep life. deep people ourselves. I mean, we really like to like get get things out of folks. Yeah, we do. I love this show because we've really, how often do you get to sit down with folks who are alums of the institution for like an hour or so and just really get to know them on a personal level? I think that that's the most special part that we get to share with the yeah. audience. Yeah, we get to find out their passions and interests and you'll find out more about Alex in this show. <laughs> We are so excited to have Alex with us today. Alex, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Where did you come from today? I am in Marlton now, um, and I was just talking about this. So this is my first time back on campus in 11 years now. Wow. Uh, So I'm really excited. Uh, This building looks the same to me, although I did find myself lost getting here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's so nice just to see all the changes and, and how wonderful it looks here. Well, I'm excited because we had Alex join us. So I'm a member of the Women's Alliance yes. Network. I'm currently uh, serving as a, a chair on the board there. And we had Alex come on and do a virtual event for mm-hmm. us. And she was just so fabulous. And I was like, wow, she's an alum. Let's get her on our pod. So we're really excited to have have you today and talk about, we want to spend so much time talking about your book and your yeah. HR experience, but yeah. maybe we could just rewind a little bit sure. and take us back to the beginning of how you got to Rowan, how you found out about the institution and what made you come here? Absolutely. So when I went to Rowan, I lived in Sicklerville, uh, which is the opposite way of Marlton. There was a program back then called the NJ Star Program, which was a scholarship that if you went to two years of community school and then you went into two years of state uh, state school, they covered a large majority of your college expenses, which was just amazing. So Rowan was an obvious choice for me. It was the closest four-year university to where I was living at the time. Um, and I was just easily commutable. I didn't have to live on campus. I was here in 15 minutes, which was great because I worked when I was in college. And, and so that was always well, uh, well done with my schedule there. What were you hoping to do? Like, So I think I had three majors while I was here. Oh, I wow. started as advertising. Um, and then I got the pre-med bug uh, because I worked in a medical facility while I was going to Rowan and was convinced that I was going to be a doctor okay. when I left. I think I made it two semesters. Okay. Uh, chemistry threw me off very oh, chemistry, quickly. Chemistry. I'm sorry. For, <laughs> for anybody in the chemistry world, that's just another thing. Chemistry yeah. threw me off. And then I think my second... Uh, 
um, anatomy and physiology course, I could not take the smells. So I very quickly was <laughs> like, this is not for me. And I've, I've now been here forever. So what can I do to move myself along? So I went back to communication studies. Yeah, it's much, much better, much yes. easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you were a communication <laughs> studies student, did you have Dr. Maria Simone? I did. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, I loved her. Yeah. She was such a wonderful teacher yeah was she one of your favorites she was she was and I loved that I could be here just about any time of the day um and have fantastic teachers and professors any that stood out for you in your experience here I would say Dr. Simone yeah. For sure. It was I, hard, right? She was. I know, but I, I liked it. I did too. Yeah. Was she, what, what made her difficult? She a stickler. Yes, she was. She was very intense. I don't even know. I think it's like she's even more than a triathlete, but yeah. she like moved out to the mountains. and But she like was so excited about what she taught that she like yes. sweat through it. Like yeah. you would like watch her like be so intense in the room. So she was very engaging, but like the work that you had to do when you weren't in the classroom, like all the papers and everything yeah. and the tests, they were very, very challenging. But I, I personally thought that was great because she gave a lot of great feedback. Yes. And even though she was difficult, I took her twice mm-hmm. because I was I, I felt like I was able to grow in that course. So yeah. that was really. I loved it. Um, I think there were times I was like, oh, my gosh, it's 8 o'clock at night. Like, let's just wrap this up. We can get through <laughs> this. It's OK. Uh, Meanwhile, but, I was like, sweat more. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. But <laughs> she was so great. <laughs> but, but looking back, she really was. And I think it gave me quite an appreciation for the communications field. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And then so with the hopes of what would your career start to look like and start to shape up in your mind? So when I went to school and when I was in communications originally, I wanted to be a journalist. I love to write. Um, and I think that was at a point in time where you started to see the newspapers fold. Um, it really wasn't the career choice that was a smart move right out of college. I was, I was yeah. trying to figure out where that inspiration was coming from because it wasn't necessarily Yeah, no, it wasn't. Industry. It wasn't the best time to get into that. And so I had a really great job at that point in time. I was working in a medical facility. I was meeting a lot of new people. Um, I was getting to do special projects, which was great, and use my communication skills and writing internal memos and things like that, which was really nice for somebody in college and just getting out of college. And so I didn't really know where I wanted to go other than I really liked healthcare. Um, There was someone that I worked with in that facility that went to another facility that said, there's an opening in the human resources department. I know that that's not the track that you're necessarily on, but I really think you'll like the people here. So why don't you just try it out? Um, So I went for an interview and I got the job and I've been in human resources ever since. So what is it about human resources that is so like caught your attention that got you excited about it? So I think traditionally you see human resources as like the policy person, the person that's telling you, no, you can't do that. That's just not what's going to happen. And and what I love about human resources is it's what can we make happen for the organization? If you're in an organization that really supports and values HR, it's all about how do we make the culture here great? How do we do great things for these people that are here on a day-to-day basis? Um, And so that's really what's kept me in HR. And what are the challenges of the field, I feel, is that professional development piece? Are you, yes. Especially at larger organizations where mm-hmm. you can't necessarily steer the ship as quickly, right? right. It's like moving the Titanic. So yeah. how do you guys navigate that? Yeah. So I've always taken the philosophy that, yes, the organization is definitely um, has a responsibility for your professional development, but so do you. So you can't mm-hmm. sit around and wait for someone to professionally develop you. You have to take that initiative. And so it's the person or the squeaky wheel, so to say, right, that gets the grease. And um, that's that's the advocation for you. So go out there. Tell us what you want to do. How do I help you get to where you want to be? And that helps me guide the organization around And let's it. be honest. Now you can just tell us because it's yeah. only the three of us. Yeah. <laughs> well, four of us. Plus the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> 
As the HR person, yeah, are you getting the looks when you walk in the buildings? Of course. I'm the token <laughs> HR lady. I've been called the HR lady so many times in my career. It's um, such an awful thing. I, I know. know. I feel and kind of bad. I, um, so I was uh, the, only, the only woman on the leadership team in my last corporate function, and I frequently got the feedback or my team got the feedback that you have that token HR lady on oh, the team, wow. right? That's your, that's your female presence. And I'm like, well, I think I'm a little bit more than the HR lady. Like I bring great perspective to this team, but I get what you're trying to say. <laughs> I almost think human resources would be a field more dominated by women. Oh, for it? sure. Right. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. you were, that was like strange that you were yeah. the token HR lady. Well, yeah. So I would say, I think what their perspective was, it was a table of all men and of course the function of the hr is going to be the lady at the table right the mm -hmm. woman at the table and so that really opened my eyes to say yeah there's not a lot of people in the leadership team that look like me that talk like me that are my age and so what can i do about that is that what inspired you to write your book was yeah, that kind of your first yeah, entry yeah. into yeah so i think a bit of from just growing up and what i experienced in gender roles in the home and from a family perspective and it really compounded when i got to that corporate setting because i was promoted into a vice president role fairly early so i was a vp before the time i was 30 and the team around the table was i would say 40s plus um, all male. And so I very much suffered with, oh my gosh, why am I here? Like this is, uh, I don't deserve this position. Somebody's going to figure that out really quickly. The imposter syndrome? Yes. Instead of saying, well, how do I make it so that other people like me, other individuals that identify like me get here? It was very much like, oh my gosh, I'm one day they're going to figure me out and I'm not going to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the gender roles growing yeah. up, right? So what did that, if you don't mind sharing, what did yeah. that look like for you? Because I think it's probably gender roles are pretty much something that we've all experienced similarly growing up. So what, what what was your experience? Yeah, so I would say if you looked at my family from the outside, we were the perfect middle class family. It was a boy and a girl, um, two parents that had great jobs. We had a nice house. We had the, the Did you have dogs. A dog? we, <laughs> I was did. Say. we did. Uh, multiple at one time. But when you started to come inside the house, it was very much a different feel. Um, my father suffered with alcoholism um, and so was fantastic at work. But when you came home, you experienced a very different person. My mom was dealing with that and, and the emotional abuse that came with that while also dealing with children. And so she was distant at times. And so I started to see a very different perspective that you didn't talk about things outside mm -hmm. the home. You portrayed that, yes, everything's wonderful and mm -hmm. everything's going great um, aspect of it. And that really carried with me. You have a little maiden name, Corella. I so do. you're an Italian. I am. <laughs> okay. I am. Yes. But that's like, okay, I'm not yeah. going to speak for all the Italians. I'll just speak for my entire <laughs> yeah. family because yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to put this us is, in a box. Like yeah. Jess Kennedy. <laughs> at Previously or too so. So yes. uh, if you're wondering how a Kennedy is speaking, yeah. that's not my real name. It is my real name now. But I also think that's a cultural thing too. Oh, absolutely. Of keeping yeah. like what happens in this house stays here, but yes. every, nobody can know anything. Right, right, right. Every time we go out in public, it's per it's just perfect. You behave yourself. You're not talking unless you're you're spoken to right like you're not out of line mm -hmm. we're doing the sports and we're getting the varsity letters and everybody is just this perfect check the box family so you saw your mom from a young age really take on the role of kind of managing Everything. the household yes. yeah mm -hmm. yeah Keeping so the house she running. worked too full-time and then I had a, a brother who was seven years younger than me so I took a bit of a 
mini mom. Yeah, mother, a little motherly role. Um, yeah. Even though I was always told he has a mother. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, but I'm, I'm helping. Yes, this is kind of ingrained in my system. And, and, yeah. And, and I'm sorry, what did your mom do for her career? She, uh, she's a nurse. That's yep. a challenging career. Yeah. And my dad um, led a program in nursing and that he was very well renowned for. Great in their professions. I think well known in their professions, respected in their professions. And so it was just a very different experience at home. Is that where the pre-med maybe came from? Well, the, everyone in my family or my, I would say everyone in quotation marks um, was in the medical field. And so I was like, yeah, I can do this. Like I can be in healthcare. I have that gene in me. And then I got into my chemistry class and I was like, this is very much not for me. <laughs> Just kidding. Scraping by in calculus. <laughs> oh God. Let's go back before we dive into your more of your HR experiences. Yeah. Were you, you were a communication studies major. That's kind of where you landed. But yeah. were you involved in any clubs or activities or anything that you got? You know, I know as no, a commuter, yeah. it's different I, It for was a different experience as a commuter. So I was really just here for my classes and I left and I went home. And so I didn't necessarily have that experience where I was in clubs and I, and I was sticking around after class and making friends and having a really great community here, which I miss. I do miss, I think. But there were also positives of being a commuter. I could get to work. I could do other things. I was home within 15 minutes. And so just had to weigh what worked for me. So from a perspective of your your first career move out of here, yeah. what was your sense as this college student with this sort of general general degree? I mean, there's yeah. not really like, because I always hear the, 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 the question that's asked of like, well, what do you do with this degree? Now, exactly. This comm study? Like, what do you, what's the it's next It's just a step? general right. degree, right? Like, so I already had a full-time job, which I was very lucky to have while I was in school. Um, so I didn't have to make a move right away. And I wasn't pushed to make a move as soon as I graduated. So it was very much like, okay, I have a degree now. Um, and I'm just going to stay where I'm at because I'm happy where I'm at. And and that was an experience that I'm, I'm very aware is unique to my situation. So I really appreciated that. Um, and didn't make a move until I had that individual say, I think you should try this out. So what was your first major experience with gender bias in the workforce? So my role within the healthcare profession started as an administrative assistant. I never saw a male in that role. That was always a female. And so I don't think I, though, went and said, oh, wow, this is a female role. It was just something that looking back on now that I could say, wow, there wasn't really ever a male in in a front desk type role. It it was just us, right? Like that was traditionally a women's job. Um, And even when I moved into HR, I moved into as an HR coordinator or assistant as a starting point. And again, I never really saw a male in that position until you got higher up in HR. When you first were able to kind of see like the first flag of like, hey, this is like a woman's job yeah. or experience. And then you moved to this VP role where yeah. you were surrounded by all men. Yeah. What was what was that like? And what was that kind of your thought process of I really need to think about this and look into this as for all the other women in the workforce I'm yeah. supporting? After the excitement died down, because initially it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm in this major role. I'm 29. Like I'm making a lot more than I know my other 29-year-olds are, and this is so With, exciting. With, a communication degree, yeah. so thank you very yeah. much, thank everybody. You, Rowan. Thank, thank you, Rowan. Thank you, Rowan. Thank you for uh, giving us a little bit of a bump on that uh, yeah, bell curve. Exactly, yeah. because it's not, everybody always says, oh, it's the engineers. Yes. Or it's, no, communication. No, communication. Thank you. She yeah. did all right. She did all right. Then it was like, oh. Nobody has that state school in their background at the table. It was a Wharton. It was a, it, wow. you know, Harvard. It was Cornell. And it's like, I'm, I went to Rowan, and which I was proud of, but it just didn't look like the background that other people at the table had. And I was at least 10 years younger than the other individuals at the table. And so 
was I there because I knew HR or was I there because they needed to infuse something from a different perspective? And so I wrestled with that quite a bit. And I, I knew I knew my stuff or I wouldn't be there. I had so much respect for the individual that promoted me into that position. And I knew she wouldn't put me there if she didn't think I would be there. But I just wrestled internally with, am I going to be able to make a change? Are my opinions really going to be heard? Should I speak up and say something? Or are they going to look at me and say, where, like, where are you even coming from with that? Right? Like, that makes no sense. Um, and I would sit there and I would find the things that I wanted to say were coming out of everybody else's mouth, but I wasn't contributing because I was so wrapped up in this perspective that I'm going to look like I don't belong here if I start taking part in this conversation. Yeah, but it's that, that diversity of thought yeah. that's mm-hmm. needed from, from every perspective, right. not just male, female, yeah. but from age, from everything. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think that that's, that's hard, kind of like you were serving in the quote unquote token HR role, but yeah. it's like... There's value in that, right? Because you could add perspective, but yeah. also then you wonder, like, am I here just to add that? Exactly. Or, yeah, it's kind exactly. of like a tough balance yeah. of, yeah. And what, I mean, I could speak from my experience. I have, um, I think I'm a pretty assertive, strong female, but I can be emotional at yeah. times, which is not something that makes male coworkers very uncomfortable. Yes. Um, and I always say, like, I will never advance because I'm an emotional person. Yeah. Do you see that as something that kind of exists oh, absolutely. as, a, you know, a barrier I mean, for women in the workplace? I think one of the things that just from a personal perspective that I had to deal with quite a bit was reorgs and restructures in a corporation, especially as you're acquiring companies and you're merging with companies. And with that comes, we now have to lay a bunch of people off, right? Because there's just duplicative roles. And so, I would sit through exercises and risk exercises and just like, well, this person's going through this and this person's going through that. And it's like, well, it's just business, Alex. And I'm like, but at the end of the day, there's a person connected to the conversation that we're having. Right. Yeah, human and resource. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so how do we have that conversation in a way that, yes, it is a business decision, but we're also taking care of people. Right. And and it was foreign in thought to say, all right these people have all these things going on. Let's just say it's a business decision and move on. And I was the person to bring that up. And I think that tied to, there we go. We have an emotional connection with the woman at the table, right? She can't just handle it as a business decision. It's now, well, this person has this going on and this person has this going on and we can't do that because this person's having this. And so I did see it in micro ways, I would say, across the board. Um, And it was never fully a we're not going to listen to Alex because she's a female or I don't respect her opinion because she's younger than me. There were just little micro transgressions along the way. But it takes a while to chip away at that. Absolutely. So, so, so how yeah. do you, how do you infuse that change? Yeah. Though? So I think one, I really respect the leadership at the corporate level that I was at to say, we do need diversity of thought and we need diversity of opinion. And I think this individual will work well in this role. And after I joined the team and before I left the team, I was very lucky to see more women at the table and not just women, but people of different backgrounds and ethnicities and, and not your traditional quote unquote, here's what makes an executive level individual. Um, and so I think it's that evolution of what our leadership teams look like, right? People want to see people that look like them, that talk like them, that have those thoughts on those teams. And when primarily it was an older generational, primarily white leadership team that didn't encapsulate the whole of the corporation and and it's really not representative just, yeah. of all the employees you're sp- supposedly serving right? right and and so of course they're not going to understand my experience because they've not gone through my experience and so really putting a commitment to that at the leadership level is where you start i think i'm a huge proponent of you can't make the changes at the front line without having leadership buy-in and executive level buy-in so it starts at the top so let me let's stay on this this vein for a second 
for maybe students yeah. who are looking to become HR professionals, yep. is there a set of skills that you wish you had come in with to your career yeah. prior to that you can suggest that they kind of pursue or... Yeah, well, I can tell you, you don't have to do pre-med, so. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <Well>, Wipe <laughs> that off the table. So congratulations, yeah. kids, yeah. that's yeah. off. Yeah, don't, you don't have to take two to three semesters of pre-med and, and derail your four-year graduation. But yeah, I think, I wish I spent more time in the gender studies. I wish I spent more time in diversity studies at all. And I think at the time that I was here, that was a fairly new topic. I think we've, it's really been an influx given what's going on in society, what we're seeing on the news uh, as of late. But back in 2010, 2012, that wasn't necessarily um, a class that you saw unless you went and you were searching for it. And so I think focusing on diversity of thought, diversity of gender, diversity of ethnicity, and that's just really touching the surface anywhere you can, that will really help you in your career. So you released your first, I like how this is yes. written, your first book. Yes. <laughs> and what year did you write that? So I wrote that last year. It came out last year. Um, it is Bridging the Gap, Reducing Gender Bias in the Workforce. Um, and then I released my second book this year, uh, So Now What? Harnessing Grief After Life's Major Losses. Now, I'm going to go to uh, a little quote from your book that sure. you open it with. It says, we live in a society that begs women to love themselves, but then tells confident women to sit down. What does that mean to you? To me, I think what we see is, yes, there is this grassroots movement that women are worthy of being in the workforce. They can be a mom. They can be an executive. They can do all of those things. But in a way that you're not disrupting the status quo, right? Once you start to disrupt the status quo, then we have we start to have some issues with what that looks like. And that's really what I experienced a bit in corporate life. And I've seen other females in leadership positions and not even just leadership positions and in, in just frontline or beginning management positions as they're moving through the workforce. Do you think that uh, there's an, like a higher expectation of women to handle more like personally and like just yeah. thinking back to your your mom's experience yeah. you know she was running the household she was right. a successful worker she you know had personal things going on yeah. in her marriage but she kind of kept that all in i think now we have a society kind of like what you're saying where we're more open to talking about that yes. but not maybe necessarily Shifting. dealing with it yes yeah absolutely so i think that's the first step right is talking but i think talking only gets us so far and i think we're very rapidly getting to a point in time where we've had those talks and we keep having those talks but what's the action that's coming out of it right i'm really starting to see that with a lot of the individuals that i interact with on a day-to-day -day basis but i think we are still there that we say you can be quote unquote super mom, but what does that look like? You're running the household, you're taking care of the kids, you're working a nine to five. Um, and now with COVID and since the pandemic for a lot of people, you don't even leave the house. Like all of those things happen in the span of 14 to 16 hours a day in one space because we've been driven out of the office and back into work. At least when we went into the office four or five days a week, we had a very delineated life right you had home and then you were at work and then you stopped work and you were at home and now all of those things intersect it's blurred yeah. do you find that even as a male since covid that i i find this personally that they're pre-covid it seems like the, i could kind of like put things in boxes yes. and then post-covid although we got more flexibility and lots of wonderful yep. um yep. you know benefits it, it everything got like blurred and yeah. i think the communication got like more intense and the level of expectation got higher which is strange because COVID, you thought what everything would kind of slow down. And I found myself violating my own rules with as far as like my, you know, checking my email. Yeah, all the time. 
All the time. Before my rule was, nope, between these and these hours, that this is where we're going to go. Yeah. Very structured, keeping it. Now, like, I even find myself Saturday mornings going like, uh, I know. Like, nope. I put it down. I, it got I so bad myself. that I had to set like daily limits on yeah, my apps because that's great I idea. was. But you just, can ignore those, which is I my know, problem. I know. Um, <laughs> Jessica Rose. Yes, I know. Uh, but yeah, I was just glued to my screen because I was like, these individuals know I'm at home. If I don't respond right away, they're going to move on to the next person that is going to answer them. How are you, as an HR professional, infusing some of the change that you want to see from your desk when you're maybe not? interacting with directly with some of the frontline employees where the managers and supervisors are really seeing maybe some of the the challenges. Absolutely. So I think from an HR perspective, I have always been an advocate that you cannot be an effective HR professional if you are not out and understanding who it is that you're serving. So for example, if you're in a healthcare organization, go spend some time on the floor where it's safe and and when it's possible to understand what your people go through on a day-to-day basis. How do they interact with patients? What are issues that they're encountering? connect it and and make it the human part of human resources. But if you just sit behind a desk and you're enacting policies on a day-to-day basis, you're not going to do your job well. And I doubt that you're going to be fulfilled in what you're doing either when you're lucky enough. And I know the pandemic created a lot of flexibility and opportunities to work fully remote. And so you may never interact in a face-to-face capacity with the individuals you serve. And so how do you start to look at situations a little bit differently? Do you join a group? Do you join an employee resource group? Do you lead a group? Do you do one-on-ones or ask to sit in on team meetings just so that you can understand the business? Because if you don't understand the business that you're working for, then you're not going to be able to make really grounded decisions. Having to draft policies. Yes. Is going to be my existing chat GBT. That's what Rob wants. I have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have not yet, but I have had like 20 people tell me you just need to enact this on a daily basis. And so I yeah. used it the other day. Gotta, yeah. You kind of got to use it, but <laughs> it's, it's got to be awful, right? I, well, it's my communication studies background where we had to do everything for yourself. We weren't there yet. We weren't in the digital communications yeah. age just yet. So I'm, I'm going to I'm going to lean back on. Here's what I learned in school. And I like it this way. <laughs> it's so it's, it's so wild. And then you must have had some pretty wild interactions. Oh, man. In I role. think my favorite. Yeah. My is there all one? Ti- we'll my, call the person. My all time favorite. And I this won't identify anybody, but Good. I worked in a global organization and I had the opportunity to support India. And our India campus sat next to their local um, junkyard. Okay. And so I got a call early in the morning our time and said, we can't go into work. The rabid monkeys from the junkyard are standing in front of our door. What do I do? That's a thing. And I was like, um... I don't think anything in my classes ever prepared me for like, what <laughs> do I sure, do with monkeys? I was before. like, as a person, let's not approach the monkeys. So if you can't get in the door, we'll figure it out. Just maybe go home. Um, <laughs> we'll touch base later when we know you're Do you safe. have your laptop? Yes. Okay, go home. Um, and we'll make it work. Like, we'll figure Perfect. it out. And, yeah. and we'll talk to the junkyard and figure out how the monkeys aren't there tomorrow. Oh my I don't think they're having that issue on Rowan's campus. <laughs> no, I, I haven't I seen any. Oh, we I have a vet school coming soon, so I don't know. Oh, but maybe. Yeah, maybe they'll start crossing over 320. Well, I can't dra- get down there 322. Right. Donkeys are in the way. We'll have to draft a new policy. Yeah. Does your husband work in HR? So my husband passed away. So I was HR and he was all business. He worked for the Navy for most of his life in wow. engineering. Um, and then we started our consulting company together, which was great because we were just exhausted during the pandemic. I, I will never forget this. We sat in our basement on the couch and I just looked at him and I was like, I'm just tired. I'm yeah. so tired. I'm on all the time. You're on all the time. And like we're we're contributing to somebody else's dream. Like this isn't necessarily what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so 
it literally was let's start a business like it, we just looked at each other and we're like mm. let's just go do our own thing yeah and it was always meant to be a side project and it took off so we were really lucky it took off and we were both able to leave corporate before he passed away which is great it put me in a place though very quickly like oh my gosh do i go back and do the safe thing do i go back to corporate or, or do i stick with this and thankfully um, i stuck with it because now i get to make my day look like I, what I wanted to do. I get to That's work great. around my kids' schedules and I get to be there for activities um, and field day and, and things like that. And so it is very much where we wanted to be mm. and what we wanted to do. Um, but I would say research things before you do that. Don't just decide <laughs> on the couch in the basement that like, yeah, I'm going to start a business and yeah. go do it. Uh, but it worked out for us. So And how great. old are your kids? So they're eight and six. Lucas okay. is eight. He told me yesterday that he's going to be on America's Got Talent next year. Great. So watch out for the eight-year-old what with is a he recorder. What's he going to be doing? With a recorder. Yeah. My six-year-old, Ava, is the total opposite. Um, she is the light of my life, though. I feel like every day I get a note from her teacher on something else that she's done. Yeah. Um, and she'll Good own it. Good she, notes. Yeah. She'll, not HR notes. Uh, <laughs> not notes depends like on HR. the day. Uh, <laughs> depends on the day. But I'm like, she's either going to run a company or, or she's going to cause a lot of serious trouble but i'm hoping we use our powers for good um she's going to be on america's got talent too but she's going to play the guitar so i'll let you know when okay, both on there perfect i can't i can't <laughs> wait so talk about balancing your single mom yeah and you have this business yeah. and what's it like to balance all of that it's tough i i'm not going to be here uh, sit here and say that this is the most amazing thing it works for me because it allows me to do what i want to do but there are nights when i'm working way past the time that they're um, in bed because I chose to take off a couple hours during the day when they were up. Um, there's days where I will close the home office door and it might as well not exist because we just walk through it anyway and, mm -hmm. and just be like, I need another 30 minutes. Like, just give me another 30 minutes. And it's tough because you have two little people who are like, I'm home. I did school. Like, why aren't you yeah, done? Be done? And there's really like real people behind my computer screen that expect things to be done the day that they asked me to get it done. And so it is a tough balance. I don't have it mastered. Um, it works for us, though. I mean, we have a lot of fun times. And I think we've just found our way, which is really nice. In your book, you mentioned that 44% of women get more requests than men. This yes. is so interesting to yeah. do non-promotable tasks. So yes. sitting on low-level committees, plan parties and events. I'm on the social committee in our division and it's all ladies and perform necessary routine work because men are less likely to do so. Why do you think that is? Because there's a long history of us just saying yes to it, right? Because we're quote unquote lucky to be in the room. And I'm not making blanket statements. I'm, I'm very aware that there's a lot of progressive organizations out there and, and there's some that just have not caught up yet. Um, but in my experience, I'm 29 in a corporate setting with a bunch of 40, 50 year old people. I'm not going to say no. You know, like I'm just I've I feel like my lived experience is just do it. That's what got you here. That's what's going to keep you here and, and just be frustrated about it to yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I was the note taker, right? Like in meetings, like, oh, Alex will take notes for us. Oh, geez. Well, well, why? There's 10 other people in the room that can write and, and got here too, you <laughs> yeah. know, like why? They but, have college degrees yeah, from Morton. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure they they can write really well. Um, but They're not using chat yeah. GPT at all. Not yet, not yet. <laughs> but those are just some of the things that we experience. And, and from my perspective, it's because we've been taught to say, Yes, to everything, every opportunity, because you don't know what opportunity is going to get you to the next level. Do you think it's also because we take we assume those roles at home? Absolutely. So it's just like, yeah. oh, well, you know how to do this. You like host the birthday parties yeah. at your like, you know, what I mean, like this is kind of yeah. like your your wheelhouse. And one of the things I talk about in the book, too, is you're never going to see a change in the workplace unless you start that change at home. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you have to start discussing what gender roles look like at home for that to carry over to the workplace. It's not going to work 
opposite. Right. So you're having those conversations with Lucas and Ava? I am. So uh, are they understanding it? Or are you having to put it in like no, Bernstein Bear I'm stories? actually I'm very <laughs> proud of them. Bears. Do people they, read those anymore? I don't know. <laughs> they're long those Bernstein Bears. Are they? Yeah, they yeah. really are. Mm-hmm. I was in the car with both of them a couple years ago, and Lucas said to his sister, "Well, you have to listen to me because I'm the boy." And so <gasps> I was like. <laughs> deep breaths mom teaching moment mm-hmm. uh, so I pulled over and I was like <laughs> oh I did pull over I, I am, pulled I'm over I'm actually scared for Lucas right now <laughs> and I turned around and I was like here's why we're not going to say that anymore right mm-hmm. like Ava can do absolutely anything she wants to do as long as she puts her mind to it and so can you and you're going to be supportive of her and I have this like five year old looking at me like what is wrong with you <laughs> like, just let us be in the mm-hmm. back seat but I'm very intentional around the way I say it. I, I don't want to feel like they have it coming at them at all times. But in the opportunity, if they see it in a moment in TV or they experience it at school, I use it as a teaching moment. So let's talk about your next book. Yeah. Your next book coming up. That, that That's uh, So Now What? Harnessing uh, Grief After Life's Major Losses. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So it's a topic that I never really thought that I was going to have to write about, right? It's about the grief journey. And it focuses on my experience from losing Michael, my husband, um, and being a single mom and a business owner and a daughter and a sister. And how do you navigate those relationships? Because I'm very much a reader. Uh, What I found when he passed away was I either had a lot of spiritual-based resources or I had a lot of resources that were written by a psychologist or a trauma expert and I just wanted something that was written for me from somebody that went through it that was an everyday person and that's how I start the book I will say not an expert in grief I'm an expert in my grief journey and here's how I navigated it so I spend a lot of time defining what grief is talking about how the U.S. culture is such a death denying culture that we don't adequately prepare for it, right? We spend so much time focusing on how do we keep somebody alive? How do we live longer? What are all these things that we can do to look great when we're 70, 80, 90, but we never really talk about what happens next and how do we prepare for that? So I spend some time on that. I spend some time navigating how do you navigate grief with your kids who probably never had a loss like this Mm -hmm. when you also are navigating such a tough loss. Um, And The perspective that I wanted to take was it doesn't have to be a loss in terms of death. It can be anything that you really qualify as a loss. We all go through mourning um, and and we follow similar paths when we're mourning something else and not particularly just a death. Um, And then I end the book with what are the unintended, unexpected um, gifts of grief? And so even though this was such a tragic loss, what are the good things that we can take forward because this happened? And that's not something necessarily that you talk about either, right? That's a little bit taboo to say, oh, there's a good thing that happened because somebody passed away. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about it. I hope it's a resource for individuals that are going through grief. Um, it just came out last month. And then I have a children's book that goes with it that's coming out later this summer. Is that about grief also? It talking is. to your children about grief? Yeah. So I found for them, they, they very much love to read too. Um, there was either a resource that was very... Uh, black and white that that spelled out death that I felt was just a little bit too much for them at their age or there was something so high level that the message just wasn't coming across and so I wanted to be somewhere in the middle that we very respectfully talk about loss um, but we don't make it so that you're uncomfortable after you've read the book. And so what's one of the positives you could share? Uh, We have the opportunity after Michael passed away to partner with the Greater Philadelphia YMCA in his name. Um, We set up a five-year commitment to their Teen Tech Center in uh, North Philly. And so that is a center where any child in the Greater Philadelphia area can come in after school and they can learn things like 
production and coding and music and so that they're not out on the street potentially getting into some trouble. And so that's a really great thing that's happened in his name and that we've taken forward. Um, I'm also cognizant that not everybody's in that space right after somebody passes away. So we talk about things like setting up rituals or memorials for the individual, um, keeping their journey and their story going. Um, and, and looking back on it as a positive and not necessarily as such a har- uh, tragic loss in your life. So, Alex. Yes. You've got some killer rock star tattoos. Thank you. And I have to know if we can go there. Yeah. Because you're a very expressive person, right? Yeah. People like this have creative thoughts and want to put them out. So can you explain what some absolutely. of them actually the meaning behind some of them? So I will tell you, too, when I was at Rowan, no tattoo. Like, maybe one that you would never see, right? Wow. And as I left, I really always liked tattoos, but it was just not something that you saw in a corporate world. And I still think we're on the cusp of it being more accepted. Um, and I even had somebody come up to me and say, like, how do you get a job with, like, all your tattoos and you have hand tattoos? And I'm like, well, you know, it, not to sound <laughs> smug, but I own my business, so it doesn't really apply to me. But <laughs> Yeah. I didn't get the use until I started my own business, but... But yeah, so I went for a nautical theme on my left arm. Um, I now have, um, so my hand tattoos are very personal um, with my husband. So I have my husband's signature on there. Um, We, he lived in Florida for a short period of time. So after he passed, we took some of his ashes out in, um, off the coast of where he lived and um, had them at sea. And so I got the coordinates of that on my hand. Oh, that's cool. Um, that's beautiful. And then on my other arm, I always call that just like a smattering of whatever I liked at that current <laughs> period. Um, so I went through a phase where I was like super into like Viking symbols and, and transcendent symbols. And I was like, that looks great. I'm going to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> like, I'll I just, just put that on there. I love the office. So I have an office tattoo. Wait, I have let's Dwight. see Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That is so, it's so cool. The outline. My kids love that. They're like, the person from the office, who is that? Um, And then um, I just started to kind of collect things that really meant a lot to me in the moment after that. Once I got through the phase where I was just like, yeah, every other week, let me go for a tattoo that I like today. Um, I... I started to put things that that had a lot of meaning. So it was around my kids and my family and ideas that were really important to me. So I have a tattoo of an outline of Ruth Bader Ginsburg Mm. after she passed away and it says Descent um, on it. Um, And so I I linked that to when I released the book. Um, And then I have my kids' names and my husband's name probably at least two or three times in various areas. You know what tattoo I've seen is very cool, like the footprints of the kids yes. and stuff. Yeah, have you ever seen the, any yeah, of those? Yeah, yeah. yeah, those are so neat. Yeah, I always get the where did it hurt the most, and so I will say if you are out there trying to get a tattoo, really think about it if you want to get one on your foot. Oh yeah, I've heard foot hurts because the there's worst. a lot. There's not a lot of skin there, right? No, it was just and and I committed to a pretty big foot piece my Ooh. first go around, and it was just not a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised you got any more after that. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm glutton. <laughs> So, Alex, we'll have to bring you back for your third or fourth and fifth book since you're yeah. writing six or uh, seven of these at a time. I, at, at I a know. Um, I'm really excited about this one. It's it's not that the first one wasn't personal. This one was just so unexpected. Yeah. And it is for individuals that have going through life experiences like I did. And I really want to be the support that I might not have had when I was going through it. Jess, I could have talked all day to Alex about some of the, you know, the more wild stories that she had 
She probably has a lot more than she probably wanted to share. I know. Well, she was very respectful of her background, and you know, she was a, a pros great pro. professional. She's a pros pro, is what you, what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. She's was really wonderful to have in studio. We learned so much about her, and so much about so many of our alums are writing books, and it's just really cool to be able to see the names of alums on the shelves at the bookstore. So I think we I think we talked about this, but we need to have a whole section of the Barnes and Noble on campus that's just alumni written. In Books. We should write a book about people who write books. <laughs> uh, Our alumni, that. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll co-author it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time on the next episode of Beyond the Brown and Gold. You've been listening to Beyond the Brown and Gold on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. You can find more episodes on your favorite podcasting platforms by searching for Beyond the Brown and Gold or Rowan Radio On Demand. 